Welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. My name is David. And I'm Matt. And together we are the Taylor Bros. And we are here with the Make It Count podcast. And I came across something. I don't know if you know about this, Matt, but there were six scientists that went and lived on this Hawaiian volcano for a year. And um, the idea was it was going to simulate long-term space travel. Um, yes. Essentially yes. living, well, traveling to and living on Mars. And so, you know, the they were living total isolation, just the six of them, really. And they, after they finished the experiment, they said the biggest challenge was boredom. Huh. That was that was their biggest challenge. And that's what we're talking about today, Matt. Being bored. Boredom, the merits, the cost, what it's all about. Um, yeah. So I just thought that was a really interesting story that you know, the, the people were training for it. They probably thought, oh, maybe the isolation was going to be difficult. You know, maybe it'll be just like all this other stuff. But actually, the hardest thing was boredom. That is interesting. I think, um, yeah, we've spoken about that before. That is uh, a new revelation to me. I think the whole idea was to kind of discover what the uh, the psychological impacts of, of space journey would be. And... Um, effectively this whole thing of if you're going to pick people to go to mars and just like these long-term things you have to make sure you're picking people that are you know psychologically and emotionally stable and well um say well balanced or just you know mature because you can't have someone that's you know gonna just absolutely flip out yeah well and as well collaborate as a team you know there were six of them that had to work together in, in probably tight and restrictive environments so they're probably like oh how's this gonna like you said affect the psyche of of mm. those those close bounds bumping up against each other all this sort of stuff and it's like yeah that that probably all happened but their conclusion was the biggest challenge was boredom so when they when they say the biggest challenge like how, in what ways was that a challenge like what ways did that negatively affect them or the team well, yeah, I wondered about that as well, because, and I don't know if it necessarily was perceived as, as negative, but I suppose, uh, and I wonder how they measured that or how was it self-reported or, you know, but it made me think, well, actually, when my understanding is when they go up to the International Space Station, they're like working really hard, you know, they're like continually like doing experiments and keeping busy. And you think, oh, that's interesting. Maybe there's a part of it that's like, oh, you don't want to face this existential moment of being far away from breathable air you know like really you know whatever that is really interesting and the that's something i want to key into i don't know whether to to go into it right now but some of the stuff that i was um looking at when it came to boredom and just thinking about it um we it often is perceived as just this this negative experience it's quite it's just it's not a pleasant experience is it and um, we often think, oh, yeah, boredom is the cause of, you know, just we, we run away from it. And so we try to distract ourselves, with, you know, from boredom at work or um, some of the stuff I was reading there is saying, like, through the 20th century, there was lots of study and, and writing and thinking about kind of the effect of increased leisure time and how that might lead to boredom, especially, you know, um, in amongst youths you know if you're if you if they're not working or they're not studying you know they they got lots of leisure time they're bored and that was linked to things like crime uh, and antisocial behavior and whether that's true or not is uh is almost besides the point but it was this this idea that 
boredom leads to negative consequences. Mm. And I think there's a lot more people coming and going, actually, now we recognize that boredom itself can be a positive or it can be a negative depending on, on maybe how you respond to it mm. and again that comes back to the classic you know our response to the situation our responsibility and and boredom it can be the way i heard someone say it was it can be this great clearing house where it just gets rid of well, you've got rid of all of the um i suppose the distractions and your brain is now just free to wander and in that space creativity can happen Mm. well yeah and i think that's really interesting i suppose it's helpful to start at a place because basically there was a research i think it's james danker he'd done some stuff he might have even written a book on it but he basically went yes boredom is deeply unpleasant <laughs> and he's even trying to see some of the positive sides of it but he's like yeah ultimately it's deeply unpleasant um and he even went i can't yeah like aggressively like devastating you know just like really just not something in any way pleasant <laughs> yeah um there's somebody else i was listening to and they talked about how uh he heard about this this moment in in the 1850s i think it was in the us but you know if you wanted to get a new pair of shoes someone would walk in and everybody in would see that customer right and they talk to that customer and then they would make the shoes for that customer. And it was this whole, like, you saw the whole process. Everyone was involved. Everyone who knew who the thing. And he maybe made, like, two pairs of shoes a day. <laughs> but it was right. direct to customer, and you were part of this whole moment. Then we have these factories that basically went, no, you don't get to be involved in creating the whole thing. You just create this one tiny bit millions of times. And it stripped the meaning out of work. And yeah. effectively, that a lot of the stuff I've seen is basically almost deliberately stripped the meaning out of work in the name of efficiency and quality. And ultimately, that's where boredom was sort of like created. Interesting. <laughs> and, and it reminded wow. me of that that story. I think it was, was it Christopher Wren uh, when they were rebuilding London after the Great Fire? And he saw these three men. And one uh, was like stooped down. Um, one was sort of like standing a little bit more, less stooped. And then one was like standing upright, uh, shoulders back, everything. And he was like, oh, like they're doing the same job. I'm going to go talk like, you know, what they're going to do. And so he went to the first guy who stooped over and said, you know, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm a bricklayer. I'm laying bricks. So to the next guy, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bricklayer. I'm building a wall. And the last guy who stood upright said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral to the almighty. <laughs> and it was something about this, like, oh, he'd seen the big picture. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't just laying bricks. He wasn't just building a wall. He was being a part of, like, building a cathedral. And he owned that. And, and I just thought those things are connected in the sense that some of the stuff I heard about boredom is, yes, it can be deeply unpleasant, but it can also allow you to see the bigger picture. Yes. A, a couple of things that I, I heard you talking about there that I also came across was this thing of, in a sense, boredom has been an experience all through history. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, there are certain circumstances and situations in which maybe it is exas exacerbated or 
the experience is more familiar to what we have today mm. um and so one set well, one one example was effectively back right back in like the roman times where some of the richer maybe aristocracy were just kind of they had they didn't have to work so they had nothing to occupy themselves and so there was this kind of sense of well what is the meaning in my day you know your days can pass meaninglessly and again sort of some of the aristocratic times in maybe uh the the romantic period you had these people that were oh what were they called them i think they called them something like dandies or something mm-hmm. and it was an it was a and the, the only the, the only phrase i've heard um that i could think of that is common is now like oh yeah how are you feeling oh fine as dandy and i wonder if that's part of um that that heritage but it was a, a negative it was this idea of oh here's someone who's got nothing to do and they're just wasting their time and they literally would spend their time to occupy themselves planning these elaborate parties and how they could get uh incredibly drunk because they felt no and i think what i'm seeing part part through all of this is boredom isn't necessarily just to do with doing something again and again and again because a craftsman does their job to get they do the same sort of stroke you know on the on the woodwork or the the metalwork or the clay or you know again and again and again but actually because there's intention and there's mean exactly as you said that you can see the progression of something from raw materials through to a form through to the finished shape and the handing off to the person there is that journey and there's meaning through it all but when you disconnect it and you divorce it from that the repetition is no longer meaningful because it is not like i'm getting towards a mastery in my skill it's just yeah there's only so many ways you can master you know i know one part of making a shoe mm-hmm. and i'm no longer it it's taken almost the humanity the relational aspect out of it and so i think the the meaning thing is really important when it comes to boredom we we don't necessarily get bored just because we do something again and again and again um like i'm sure that well interesting maybe we could talk about this but certain sports stars would probably get bored and they just do it because they're good at it but i'm sure other ones they really love practicing that shot or practicing that body feint because that's they they find a lot of meaning in doing that. Um, well, I think um, it was a, there was a yeah. basketball player, wasn't there? That he would like after practice, team practice had finished, he wouldn't let himself leave until he'd shot like a hundred throws in. Um, yes. and and that idea. I think Frank Lampard used to do that with long distance shots. It's like I've got to score like four long distance shots before I finish training, and yep. Beckham would do extra free kicks and all of this sort of stuff. Like you said. There's a repetition to that. There's, I'm going to go take some penalties after every training session, make sure they're really good penalties so that when it comes, and like you said, they're not bored by that, even though it's a repetitious thing. I suppose to move the conversation forward a little bit, one of the things that is interesting is this idea that boredom is a feature, not a flaw. Um, it's like, actually, it's, it's saying something. And, and some of the situations we are most bored in, I mean, I've I've been to lots of very, what I would describe as boring meetings. <laughs> and, and actually, part of what makes them boring is my experience of them or my attitude towards them. So mm. in the sense that like, oh, I find it uninteresting or I find it unenjoyable and actually i can reframe that and go well what's the fun i can find here but there was this idea that boredom is often in situations where you feel in some way like trapped um or like held held captive in some way or other um, and i was quite interesting that's probably why 
you know, we, we look at students who are at school and go, oh, they, they, they look bored all the time, but they should be grateful for what they're learning. You know, they're this opportunity, but actually they're bored. And part of that is they just feel trapped. And sometimes it is uninteresting and it is unenjoyable. And we have to work hard to like reframe it to go, actually, there is value here. I can make it work. I can find it, make it enjoyable. Absolutely. I think, ah, ah, man, I, there's so many thoughts coming to me right now. And I'm just like, we could talk down the education route. And I think part of it is, I, I remember, yeah, there um I can't really remember an awful lot of primary school. Apparently, I was always distracting people and staring out the window, but somehow I made it through. But I remember when I got to secondary school, I, you know, I really got into it, and I, I just felt this gratitude of like, oh, I'm, I'm just interested in learning about all these different things. And so for me, I think I enjoyed the GCSEs quite a lot because you got to study this wide, wide range of subjects. And then in the English um, system, you cut down to four after that or three uh, and so it felt I mean that was good to go further but I, I loved that broad and that breadth but I yeah you, there were definitely times when you just go man you see the people around you're like, none of the people aren't interested and and there's that restriction um, and and I think that the world we live in now is different isn't it so w- the the education system at, that we have grown up in in many developed countries is actually very much based on that industrialized model of produce conformity because they're going to be a cog in a machine in a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been tweaked and changed as it's gone to more a knowledge economy. But it's very much teach a, cert- a set number of facts, a set way of thinking in order to produce a set kind of worker. And you kind of go, well, the world we live in now is just not that. Um, and I, I'm very much thinking about kind of how artificial intelligence is developing a crazy crazy fast speed right now and you've got the you know microsoft coming out and google coming out with with all these things basically going that we can take all the drudgery out of your work and and we've spoken a little bit about that before with you know we're always trying to run away from the toil from the drudgery but but i think even inherent in that education and it's going to force education to have to go well what do we need to teach people and i'd be really interested to see whether there is almost a a return to and and an increased back towards maybe apprenticeship models where you're going well actually yeah we don't need to necessarily teach people a load of facts because the information is going to be there we need to obviously teach people how to handle information but there's something really rewarding about like actually making things and where a lot of your economic value can be basically automated by a machine. You mm-hmm. kind of go, well, maybe that does free us up to do things that we're more interested in. And that would be a really beautiful thing. Will it happen? I don't know. <laughs> but it would be great if we could almost go, this is how we ch- channel our, our board and well. Because, I mean, we haven't spoken about it yet. Uh, but of course, what do we typically do? when we're bored and we we did speak about it a few weeks ago in, in, in the indistracted episode where you spoke about when I have my phone across the room I notice that urge to pull it out of my pocket because it's not there and it's almost like we we have that pain of the boredom and we want to quickly eliminate it but what happens if we learn how to sit with that boredom a little bit longer and then we can enjoy the fruits of it yeah and I suppose that's kind of why I want to just jump into into this part is boredom is a feature because it's telling us something it's telling us something about our current environment and uh, i think apparently it was tolstoy that said you know boredom is a desire for desires 
um, which I thought was quite an interesting one. Wow. It's like, oh, I want to, I want, you know, nothing here appeals to me. I think that's what uh, there was a video by Veritasium. He said, boredom is this moment where all of none of your options appeal to you. It's just feeling of like total underwhelmedness, right? <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. But it's telling you something about your environment. And ultimately, boredom should lead to exploration. Yes. And that, that's what people have talked about in this. It, it, as you track through the history, you know, we're wired for the new, for the interesting, for the nuanced, for the, you know, the something new. And so that's what boredom should do. It should be this moment where it's like, oh, this isn't right. I'm going to go and discover something new. I'm going to learn. I'm going to explore the new world. But often, I think this is one, we have to get through that pain barrier um, and and to open up that creative space. Two, if we're not able to sit with that, we go for the lowest common denominator. And ultimately what they found now is we all carry around our, our mobile phones. And anytime we even get close to feeling that like discomfort of sitting in that moment of boredom, what happens? We reach for our phone and we settle for the nuance or the new of a new notification of... Yeah the infinity scrolling that we get on Instagram and Netflix. And actually that's that's not quite maybe the healthiest expression of exploration when it comes to uh, applying that boredom experience. Yeah, that's so um, I think that's spot on. And it's not, again, to vilify the tech because yeah. it can be used really beneficially but yeah, it is also ever, that awareness. Do you ever get worried, Matt, that we're going to be called Luddites? <laughs> oh, I'm sure some people already are. Then, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe it isn't. Oh, you know, I'm using AI. I, I don't feel like an, uh, a Luddite. But yeah, I, I think that is it. And it's been intentionally designed, hasn't it, to tap into, oh, when we feel that boredom, we want that novelty. We can give you endless novelty at the tap of at the scroll, you know, and you don't have to apply any effort at all. Mm. And I just wonder about all of the, It's, I think it's so interesting. You've got all of these researchers kind of doing stuff. And actually it was in um, this decision book that you, um, that you gave to me, mm -hmm. which is all these different models for making decisions. Mm. And one of them was just thinking outside the box, right? Mm. And they told of, the, this experiment that a, a guy had done where he literally got people inside a small fairly dark plain room uh, and got them to think about uh, some creative problems and they came up with so many more solutions than people who were just in a normal environment and so he had a quite a good line he was like well it turns out if you want to think outside the box you best do your thinking in a box yeah. uh, and there was something about, you know, that my university professors were always saying, well, if you're struggling with this problem, sometimes the only thing you've got to do is just sit with it in a darkened room, you know, and we always were like, why are they talking about this? But <laughs> I get, I think there's definitely this aspect of once you have the problem in front of you and you've got the information that, um, you know, the key information, mm -hmm. actually the most important thing is to then shut out all of the rest of the sensory imp mm -hmm. input because your brain is having to process all of that. And visual is obviously a huge percentage of the amount of information we take in. So if you can get rid of most of the visual noise, you're able to do better thinking. Your brain can just kind of almost it starts to reach out in search for things and starts to maybe recall bits of information that you wouldn't necessarily connect together, come up with interesting potentials. 
Uh, and so it's, it's not about going, we need no input, we should all just sit in darkened rooms for the rest of our lives in solitary confinement. But I think, again, it returns back to, and it's this practice that you you spoke about in an episode maybe a year ago, where it was about you spend I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes a day just sitting, looking out the window intentionally uh, to just let your brain think. And then you would have a journal at hand and just write down whatever came to mind. And I, I think that's really the interesting thing, wasn't it? Because uh, boredom can do a lot of things. And one of the things people talk about is it can bring greater creativity. Now, the the guy I talked about earlier, James Dankert, I think his name was, he basically went, it can bring about creativity for those with good self-control. Um, <laughs> and it was like, oh, and maybe that links to that experiment we talked about the other week, which was these people who are going to give themselves, you know, 15 minutes in a room, nothing in that room, um, just them and their thoughts and a button that's going to give them an electric shock. And like over half the people gave themselves, and this was done in 2014, uh, Timothy Wilson was the professor, so they, they did this, over half the people gave themselves this powerful electric shock. And what was crazy to me is beforehand, many of them, most of them had said they would um, pay money to not be like electric shocked. Yeah. And yet when the option was like, boredom with your own thoughts or like electric shock they went with that and so there's all these experiments the one i found really interesting was they were like read the phone book and then you know here's a cup how many different things can you do like creative things can you come up with this cup versus the controls that didn't they were far more creative and it's just like oh boredom leads to creativity huh go figure and so there was there was a TED talk all about this from about five years ago. And she did this thing of like uh, the brilliance of boredom. And it was trying to like encourage everyone to do that. And it became like, hey, don't touch your phone, like reduce this amount of time on your phones and these interactions. Uninstall that app that is distracting you all the time. So they did it for like 12 or 13 weeks. But she said a lot of the younger people who did it were suddenly experiencing emotions that they'd never experienced before. Wow. They'd never experienced boredom before. And it was just this new experience for them. And she said there was some research that suggests this next generation are less creative, especially in areas of solving problems for their communities. Wow. And you're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like this has a real world cost. That like the benefit of being bored is that like you said that loads of people talked about this default node network. I don't know. It's but with a brain, it sounds very computery, maybe not very whatever. But it's like this point where your brain starts connecting things that don't normally connect. It sort yeah. of brings things together. It it helps you observe things. And um, and actually, if you've never done that, if you've never been bored, you probably never do that. And yeah. and so it's crazy because veritasium was basically like people that experience boredom are more altruistic. And he goes to this blood uh, donors like place, and he's like talking to one person. He's like, "Oh, why are you like donating blood?" And this person was like, "Well, you know, I just had a few spare hours, thought I'd do something good." And they're like, "Yeah, that's it. Like people are more likely to give and be generous when they are bored. They think Amazing. about their wider communities more. Wow, it's so interesting. And yet we like bury that under a." Uh, uh and experience it as pain and don't see the positives of it which is these ideas of creativity and altruism wow so i think we're probably just going to land the plane there uh 
you've uh, mentioned a couple of videos there i don't know if you want to include them in the show notes they mm-hmm. sound like good videos to me that ted talk and the veritasium video his ones mm-hmm. are always good I I did listen to another podcast on boredom and we could potentially link that in the show notes as well. I didn't speak about it much, but it was coming at it from a more literary arts point of view. Very interesting as well. Um, I've enjoyed this. I would wrap up by just saying I I heard someone say this. If you want to like lean into boredom a little bit more, you say, actually, I want this. The best way to do that is to create more situations where you're bored. It's like really obvious, right? <laughs> so go and do that, like sit for 10 minutes and not do anything. And and that helps you build up your, what's the, what's the word? Almost your ability to deal with, yeah. deal with the boredom and then come up with stuff from, from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's it. And that's why I mentioned it earlier. It's the practice that you told us about before um, and I haven't really instigated it. I do a couple of sort of, walk around the block but even that's kind of active so maybe even just sitting staring out a window for 10 minutes maybe start with five with a blank sheet of paper and a a pen and see what comes Hmm. and we can train ourselves up from that there you go well that's all for this week at the uh the mickey count podcast episode whatever number um thanks for listening hope your week is really boring